My wife and I had attended this congregation back when we were newly married and very young. We were there for 16 years, and during that time, uh, we did practically everything, it seemed to me, uh, that, uh, that a young group of people could do. We were allowed to do things that, you know, I don't know that young people were usually given that invitation to do. When I was in my, you know, right around mid-20s, they asked me if I would serve as the head elder of that church. Down the road, they asked my wife if she would serve as an elder in that church. I tell people, um, you know, facetiously that I think I did every, every job in that church except be a deaconess. Uh, maybe I didn't teach cradle roll. I, that was about it. I think everything else I did. It was an incredible opportunity to be involved. And I look at my own life now, and I see that the work that I did in that congregation prepared me to become a pastor. While we were there celebrating with this group of people, and there were quite a few people there, they also had invited two ladies to sing, not once, but twice. And one of those ladies is the mother, the other the daughter. I had the daughter in my Sabbath school class, Rick Pummel. And so your song today touched me a little because uh, to see her now in, in her early 40s, still in the church, singing uh, at this special celebration was really a blessing to me. And I said to her uh, afterwards, I said, you know, you need to make sure that you send me the details for when your graduation is going to be. I want to make sure that I can come. I think it's in May sometime. I might have had a little part to play in helping you get to, to where you are today, and I would love to celebrate the moment with you. And she kind of laughed and said, yeah, more than just a little bit uh, of a part to play, and you definitely should be there. She, I barely helped this girl get through eighth grade. Uh, I was not able to successfully help her get through high school. She ended up getting a GED. She kind of quit uh, school. I wasn't real happy with that. But I still stayed the best of friends with her, hoping for the best, helping her to become the mother that she wanted to be, uh, giving her uh, materials so that she could educate her children at home. She wanted to homeschool her family. And she was able to do that. She is now 42 years old, and in May, she will be graduating as a nurse. And she already has a job lined up. You remember that young woman I told you? I even showed you a picture of her. She was donating a kidney to her husband. She's been hired to work on the same floor where she donated the kidney. Yeah, amazing story. So when I see a church like this give an opportunity to someone like Vixie over here or Nick Gosney last year, did you know that we've been privileged that uh, the, the students that uh, we've mentored here in this church have gone on to, to get hired to have successful careers? We've got two now here in the Upper Columbia Conference. We've got one in the Oregon Conference, one in the California Conference. The only one that I don't know is yet employed is because he wanted to be a doctor and not a, a, a pastor. 
Uh, and he may end up, you know, as a missionary. That was kind of his goal, and so we may end up with him as well. It's just a remarkable thing. When we give people opportunities to serve God, God works. Yeah. So this week we're thinking about giving thanks. And there's a story in the Bible that I believe is a little bit unusual. It's found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And uh, we're reading there, Luke 17, 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus! Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. What does this story mean to us today, and especially at this season of the year where we are used to uh, giving thanks? Uh, at least that's what I think I would like for people to do at this time of the year. What does this story mean to us? We read on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. We read of this particular journey two times before this specific reference. One is in Luke 9.51 and the other in Luke 13.22. But in 9.51 we read, As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Some versions say he set his face to Jerusalem. 13.22 says Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Now, we know what this means after the fact. Jesus' disciples were not so aware. In fact, I don't think it's until about Luke chapter 18 that they learn that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and trouble awaits him there. So we readers are a bit privileged. We know about Jesus' plans from early on in the gospel. We know that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem even though there he would suffer and die on Calvary's cross for you and for me. Such determination in Jesus' life was born from his great love for you and for me. Nothing would keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem. Nothing would keep him from going. And go he did. He was resolute, always pressing on. We also read while he was pressing on to Jerusalem that he headed uh, into the region between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you know anything about the, the Jewish uh, 
thoughts about Samaritans and also about the Galileans, you know that they were not well thought of, either group. In fact, one man said, you know, when the guy says, is this the Messiah? And his response was, can any good thing come out of Galilee? Right? And the Samaritans, I mean, once when they wanted to insult Jesus, the worst, the Jewish, the Jewish people said, you're a Samaritan and you have a devil. It doesn't get any worse than that, in their opinion. Jesus is teaching, mentoring his disciples in evangelism. There is no one outside the love of God. No matter how you and I might think of someone's possibilities or chances of ever becoming a follower of God's, they are always deep inside God's heart. He loves each and every one, no matter how rough they look to us. We read as Jesus came close to a village that ten lepers approached him, meaning, of course, as they, you know, should have happened, that they were outside the city, which is where they belonged. And I want you to imagine for just a moment that you would be keeping Thanksgiving outside of your home, outside in the cold, outside with no family, no pumpkin pie, no mashed potatoes, whatever your, you know, whatever your favorite dish is, none of that for you, outside entirely, outside of worship events even, left out in the cold. And knowing their place and their horrid disease, they kept their distance. And they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These ten were not the only lepers that had approached Jesus during his lifetime. They weren't even the first lepers to ask Jesus for help. No, Jesus had been asked before. Perhaps that is even why these ten were begging him for mercy, because they had already heard about Jesus' love for people who had leprosy. We can read about it in Luke chapter 5. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing... You can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. This solitary leper had his doubts about Jesus' willingness. Not about Jesus' ability. Oh, he was sure Jesus had the ability. He had doubts about Jesus' willingness to help him. I don't think it's because Jesus had mistreated lepers before. No, but others had sure looked down upon him and others like him. Others had certainly mistreated him and others like him. And so he wondered, will Jesus help me? Will Jesus help me? That, it seems to me, Lynn, is part of what comes, rises out of our Sabbath school of class this morning, right? I mean, people sometimes look at our lives and they wonder about Jesus. Because we don't reflect him well to others. Jesus' reply, though, was as quick as his healing. Instantly, Jesus responds, I am willing, be healed. And immediately, the leprosy was gone. Jesus cares for those whom the world so often disdains. 
Jesus believed that healing all who were in need, that that was part of his calling in life. It's part of our calling as well. He also believed that the Old Testament was God's message, and he wanted to be obedient to God's word and live it out. And so he said to this group of ten, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now we read in Leviticus 13 and 14 that that was what they needed to do in order to have their healing validated. But I want you to know that all these men had to do was ask Jesus for mercy, and instantly, instantly he sent them on their way. There was no doubt, no unwillingness. He knew what he was going to do, and he sent them on their way to validate a healing that for them was still in process, but Jesus was certain of. But Jesus was so certain of it, and he wanted it to be done so quickly that he said, head to the priest, do it now, don't wait, go. And on the way, we're told, they were healed. Jesus wanted them to be accepted back into society. And in order for them to, to be accepted, he knew that their healing needed to be validated. That was the right course of action. And so he sent them to the priests. And notice it's priests. Because he was hoping a whole bunch of priests would come out and get the job done quickly so they wouldn't have to stand in line. How many of you ever stood in line at the grocery and think, why don't they open more checkout lines? Right? I mean, there's nothing better than going, you know, Thanksgiving shopping and find all lanes open, right? And that's what Jesus is hoping for, speed and validation of their complete recovery. Jesus also wanted them to step out in faith. Step out in faith. Be headed down the road uh, to where that, where that healing can be validated. Do it now. And, you know, we read in Joshua chapter 3 uh, about when uh, the children of Israel getting ready to cross into the promised land, right? And it, we read that it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests touched the water at the river's edge, the water began backing up. God likes to see us step out in faith trusting in his great love for us knowing that he will come through step out in faith and so we read of the lepers that as they went as they stepped out in faith they were made clean they believed what they had heard about jesus's loving character uh, they also knew that jesus had been granted power to heal it was evident in the other healings that he had uh, accomplished. And so they trusted his word, and on their way, they, they made that journey to see the priests. Yeah. There's more to our story. One of them, seeing that he was healed, turned back and began praising God with a loud, loud voice. Now, I've met people, sometimes many people in certain churches, that we're just sure that uh, praising God should be done quietly. They uh, have mistakenly uh, equated uh, reverence for silence. But here we can see that shouting 
is appropriate at times. You come to God and you talk loud because you're praising him for all that he has done for you. But this man did something that no one else in the New Testament did. Did you know that? No one else in the New Testament did this. Now, some of you are going to differ with me, but using the language of thanks, this is the only place in the New Testament where someone thanks Jesus. Did you know that? The only place where someone thanks Jesus. Now, people thank God multiple times. The only place where Jesus himself is given public thanks. Wow. This man verbally thanked Jesus. He stands alone in doing this. It's not the only thing, of course, that differentiates him from others. He was of the wrong faith, man. It's on the other side of the tracks, the other side of the fence. Not only praising God, but thanking Jesus. Now, I had some questions, of course, in this regard. I mean, you know, I'm assuming that since he's highlighted as a Samaritan, that the other nine must have been Jewish, which makes me wonder, why didn't any of them come back praising God and thanking Jesus? In fact, I also wonder about some other things. You know, you see the ten of these people, that what I believe are nine Jewish lepers and one Samaritan leper, uh, getting along together, and I can't help but wonder just a little bit if a dreaded disease can make them one, if a dreaded disease can make them community, if a dreaded disease can make them brothers and sisters. Why can't religion do that? Why not? Why can't you and I look at all of the people around us in this particular community here in Walla Walla and see for ourselves that everyone in this community is our brother or our sister, no matter how depraved they may be, no matter how problematic they might be. Why didn't faith in God make the Jewish people more accepting of others? If disease can do it, why didn't faith in God do it? Well, given all that God had done for the Jewish people, it seems to me that they had every reason to come back and praise God and thank Jesus. Of course, seeing that 90% of these uh, lepers that are healed did not come back and thank Jesus definitely is a disturbing element in this story, I think. So I'm wondering this season of the year when we talk about Thanksgiving, what you and I are doing to express our thanks to God and to Jesus. Now we took some time today. We gave an opportunity for each of you. Uh, you know, but it was kind of compacted, right? Not everybody got a chance to talk. But this week, you still have opportunities. In fact, the rest of the year and all of next year, you have opportunities to express your heartfelt thanks to God and to Jesus for what they've done for you. I hope you'll remember to do that. 
I hope you'll seize the opportunity to do that. We'll give you other opportunities here in church, but you have opportunities even at home to bless others, to help others, to share God's love with others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to say thanks because you have done so very much for us. I am so very grateful for all the evidences of, of your love in my life this year. This has been easily the most challenging year of my life. And yet I know that you have sustained me through it. I can sense in my own self that I'm doing well. That you and I are on good terms. And I thank you for all the work that you do to keep me in a relationship with you. God, each of us here could say the same. Thank you for doing so much for each of us. Thank you for blessing us this year. Continue to work in our hearts. Bless our family gatherings this week. Help us to remember to come back and say thanks, to help others along the way learn of your great love. 